that one fight night is still in my mind is like so epic because we had about 20 of us it was something like UFC 65, Randy Couture was fighting Tim Sylvia. All of us were sitting there so hyped up because in the first 10 seconds, Randy does the leg kick and then the overhand yes, right and that. knocks him down. Yeah. We all were off yeah. the couch screaming. Yeah. We haven't really been able to replicate that experience since. Well, we did. When you moved away, actually, we did it at my place <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Efficient by Design podcast. Today, um, I have my two co-hosts with me again. We've done a few of these together, the three of us. So I have my brother, Brad, and uh, my good friend, Dustin. So obviously, Brad, we have known each other for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And Dustin is, I've known you now for, I think, 25 years. Yeah, not quite. Something like that. But close. Oh, 18, something like that. Um. So we we worked together, started Acrobus Construction back in the day. Brad worked with me back then as well. Um, so we're going to go through a little bit of uh, our relationships and our um, lives in regards to careers, building of our own houses, um, family, wives and kids, and all kinds of fun work, malarkey and shenanigans that have mm -hmm. happened through that time. So we'll try not to regurgitate too many stories we've touched on before, hopefully none. Um, so try to be careful with that. So why don't we start off with, um, you know, our background that we've kind of laid out to the podcast so far, talked about the start of Acrobus Construction um, and Brad with us then. And there came a time soon after the start of that company that we built our own houses mm -hmm. for ourselves and helped each other out with that. And then yours was a few years after, 10 years after maybe. When, how long ago did you build your house now? That'd be like five years Only five ago, years probably okay. something like that. See, so yeah, Dustin and I, we went through that in a similar time back mm -hmm. in 2007. Six, seven. Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. Right. Um, yeah. So to start with that, how was that process for you? What was going on then at that period of time? Well, was that before you had the mustache? <laughs> <laughs> Dustin walked into know. work this morning. It was so <laughs> awesome. He walked in. With this little grin on his face. And I think I noticed that stuff really. If somebody gets a haircut or something, whatever, mm -hmm. I'm usually like, hey, you got to whatever. And right away, boom, he did a little grin. You touched it. I Did I touch it? Yep, that was right. the first thing. Just like this little Tom Selleck pet. Yeah. And yeah. like like it was and really You nice. mentioned your kids said you yeah. they reminded you of a of a Disney character and you got all excited like a yeah. Gaston or some macho dude. What'd they say? Uh, Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, that right. seems right. Yeah, which, okay, so, so far today... Because the, the move to the mustache, I've never had a mustache. Right. My dad has always had a mustache or a goatee yeah. back and forth. He'd shave off the mustache and we'd be like, what is wrong with your face? And you can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've grown at different times, grown a beard. And so this time around, like I find having a mustache uncomfortable. Mm. This is the first time. And growing up, we always thought mustaches were a little... You would never desire to have a great mustache. No, yeah. they were wicked in the in the eighties and early nineties, yeah. and then for the last what twenty feel, years, they kind of just. I feel like mid to early eighties. I think even by the time we were like yeah around ten, like around what the n late eighties, early nineties, mm -hmm. it was gross. Mm. It was kind of gross. I felt but like you would every once in a while see someone who had a really great mustache, yeah, yeah. and you go, "That's great." Mm -hmm. 
And so anyways, I, t- yesterday I decided to shave the beard, but I just did a casual, like I gentle, like I went shorter, not as short as this with everything else and left the mustache long. I went through my day, no one noticed. <laughs> and I thought, perfect. I'm just going to go for it because in some ways having a mustache is a lesson in humility. Sure. You just go for it. And I'm a little bit of a, I care too much what people think. Mm-hmm. So I thought this is going to be a good little practice for me to just do something and not be worried about what people think. So I decided to go, you know, the number one on the buzzer mm-hmm. and leave the mustache. And I'm, I just wrapped it up. I'm like, kids, the mustache is here. And they, okay. So they were watching as I came out of the bathroom and Olivia started laughing mm-hmm. and she's like, you look awesome. You look like a Disney character. Yep. Mr. Potato Head. And then Christy texted our other kids and everybody kind of gave their feedback. Yeah. And our other daughter was like, you look like you're going to go put on a flannel and chop some wood. Yeah. And then I came in here and I got, so Miss, so far it's been Mr. Potato Head. Then I got a Ted Lasso. Yeah. And right away, I'm like, those are really great. Yeah. Characters. And then just recently from Bailey. Yeah, Bailey. What did you say, Bay? Goose from Top goose top gun yeah so so far those and are then two. mark said he's never even seen top gun and yeah. then yes anyway back to the stash yeah so it's a it's a great little lesson and so far i haven't been too embarrassed mm-hmm. uh or ashamed we'll have to work on that yeah you'll have to work on that <laughs> see i've had this for quite a long time but it's not actually i wouldn't say almost like a legit mustache because i've always had this little mm-hmm. thing going on there and joe doused he had, oh, yeah. he was so good. Like his, I don't know. I think he inspired me to do this little thing. Cause he's, he's been rocking that. Joe little... Dost is worth a mention. Who's Joe Dost? Joe Dost. I mean, again, he's... who isn't Joe Dost? Yes. He's a <laughs> wow. legend. He's, he's a legend. So Joe, Joe Dost for context was a guy who framed with me for years, a phenomenal drummer with the music together. Uh, he was the first kind of full-time employee had in the leather shop yeah. and he's since moved on to become full-blown uh, electrician. Yeah. But also a soundman. And if you were to ask Joe, yeah. he is. He would say he is a sound man, sound technician who plays drums. He's not a drummer who mm-hmm. also does sound. His passion is like in the sound. Audio tech. Audio tech. And I mean, he toured around like Canada and the States with bands doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And He's a guest I would love to get on and he'll never do it. There's no way. And no offense to Joe. Like it's no. not, it's not that at all. It's just not his personality. He's a yep. quiet guy. You get to know him and the guy's one of the most talented, loving. Unassuming. Unassuming, friendly just gem of a guy yeah. um yeah anyway but the mustache was after the house sorry back to the house <laughs> yeah right okay. so before the happened. mustache before the mustache what happened yeah. so i i never wanted to build a house hmm. i mean i thought it was cool but that was for like really ambitious hard-working people <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily see myself as ambitious or hard work. Well, you're not. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, if, if it wasn't for my father-in-law, because back in, you know, two, early 2000s when we moved to Summerland, you know, a person could build a life here, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we had no money when we moved here. Literally no, no dollars in the bank. And a crappy 89 gold Honda Accord that died the day after we got here and got towed out of our driveway. We had nothing except my wife and I and our, our firstborn. And she, Christy was pregnant with the second. 
townhouses? Is that we were first living um, with some friends? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they were away on a cruise, so we lived in their house for like six weeks, and then so family helped us get a down payment for a house, our little townhouse. I didn't even know what it didn't even know what a mortgage was at that stage. They helped us get into it. Uh, it only cost a hundred grand at that time, which in Summerland is craziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we started our business. And Christy, at, with two kids, she was able to stay at home. We could, we were able to live off that. We were pretty comfortable off one income. And then it was slowly over time. My father-in-law would be like, "Hey, have you seen any lots around town?" And I'm like, "I don't want to do that. I don't, don't want to do that. That's stressful." Mm-hmm. And I have two young kids. Why would I do that? And every time he'd see me, bug me. You've found a lot yet? What do you mean found a lot? Well, I'll help you. I'll help you buy a lot so you can build a house. I don't want to do that. And every time I saw him, he'd bug me about it. Till finally, Luke started his house, bought a lot. And so because of Luke doing it, I was like, well, somebody's like literally right in front of me doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go for it. You have the the skills yep. and the resources. You're yep. already building houses. Yep. Why not? And we had the ability because we were able to sell our house for double. And oh, really? We sold it ourselves, didn't have a realtor or anything. Like, That's seriously, right. you just put a sign on the grass and some lady was like, I want to buy your house. Huh. And came in, made her coffee. And she said, so I'll give you, we were asking like 200000 I'll give you 185 No. I'm going to sell it to you for 200,000 or I go with a realtor tomorrow and it jumps up to 220. You choose. You said that. Yep. Jeez. And she goes, <laughs> 195. I said, seriously, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. We're going to go with a realtor. It's going to jump up this much and it's going to go. So you can either buy it for 200 or not. And she's just like, I got to go have a smoke. So she goes out in the back, has a cigarette, comes in and she's like, my husband's going to kill me because he told me I have to get it for less than asking. And I said, I get it, but this is the price and it's, it's fair price and it's going to go up from here. So you can rest assured that you're getting a good deal. It's going to get more expensive. Fine. And she shakes my hand and it was done. Mm. And we were able to buy the lot. And I just followed in behind you like, I don't know, we were only a month or two months really behind you in building process. So it was, we could all be over at your house, building your house, framing it up. And my lot was literally across the street. And yeah, what was the 80 feet away? Yeah. How much was the lots? Mine was just over 80,000. And we were the first one in the subdivision. Ours, I think, was 79. Yeah. Under 80, which was ridiculous. Like yeah. there was nothing there was else. nothing else. Under 100, I don't think. And it's a teeny little cul-de-sac with way too many lots. Yeah. And we were just like, hey, this is our chance. And truly, it was an incredible opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I look back at it with so much gratitude. Because if it wasn't for people pushing me, I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting into it, having Luke as an example to be like, <laughs> plow all the, you know, ground in front of me to be like, hey, this is the steps I went through. And we, I had never drawn blueprints before. So Luke came over, 
gave me some, you know, advice. And Chris and I literally just drew it out mm. and did, did our own plans, drew it all ourselves. And I remember going into the building inspector, Al, Al, and I literally just had, because Luke would tell me, you need these elevations and so on and so forth. Do it like this. And you helped me with some like roof line stuff that was a yeah. little bit complicated. And I remember being like, I can just bring it in. And it was literally just pencil drawings on a big sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're an artist though, so that yeah. helps. Yeah. So it wasn't like chicken scratch, but was able to go in and yeah, everything got stamped. Yep. From your drawings. Went. Yep. Because that's not how it was when I did mine. Yeah, not anymore. Was, this, okay. was, this was a little bit old west okay. with the old building inspector. <laughs> yeah. And was there was awesome. like no homeowner builder protection stuff or certifications. It was like you could right. build your own home yeah. if you had plans that were to scale. Yeah. And it had all the information needed. You could take them in like, yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. With proper cross sections and stuff. And Yeah, I didn't know any of that stuff. Luke helped me. So that's almost 20 years ago. And just for perspective, mm -hmm. 80 grand for that lot, that lot now would sell for in Summerland. I'd want to say between two and three hundred thousand. Yep. For those little tiny lots. Yep. Probably, yeah. But if it yep. wasn't for Luke and his experience, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So, you know, we'd be over at his house framing it up. And then it wasn't much longer. We were over at our house yep. doing the footings and stuff. And then I, I was so pumped to be able to try and do as much as I could. And I remember being really surprised that I could rent a, a good size excavator and they would just drop it off. Yeah. yeah. And, and the rental, could, rental was literally what? The rental center is like two blocks away. Yeah. But they dropped off this huge, in my mind, this huge excavator. Yeah. And I had worked on machinery before, so I was comfortable with it. But what do you mean you can let me drive this huge thing around? And but I didn't do, uh, I didn't prep for, you know, the foundation, but I did the backfilling because yeah. I thought this would be fun. Yeah. I want to do this myself. And it was awesome until I was near the utilities and I was just going for, I was just like, oh, oh yeah. I just had the edge of the bucket. And I was like, oh, I just want to, just a little bit of that away. Just a little scrape, little scrape. And then, tsh! <laughs> and I panic. I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill everybody. Yep. There's gas. <laughs> yes, gas. And so I called, I think I just called the number. I can't remember if it was 911 or the, there's like a gas emergency yep. number. And they shut down the whole street, the whole block. Yep. And I thought, oh. I'm screwed. I'm wasn't it get just like a tiny fined. yellow? Wasn't yeah. it just a yep. small little yellow? Not very deep. No. Like the, the home like supplier. Foot, foot under the ground or it something. Really it's really shallow. Like, yeah, it's really shallow. Yeah, and I hardly touched it. Yep. And... I thought I'm so screwed. This is fine is going to be ginormous. It's going to screw up the whole thing. And it was maybe like 200 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, just about killed everybody. And <laughs> it's funny how that, that's what it seems like when we, like I've been around machines when they've hit like two inch mains and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's just whistling the whole block. Like you can hear it from you yeah. know, a few blocks away. And everyone's like, turn everything down. Don't close doors. Don't mm -hmm. start your car. The whole thing's going to blow. And you're like, everyone's tiptoeing around. Yeah. And you blow your house up. And you call the authorities and they, fire truck comes charging up right to the brake yeah. with their truck running, walk around like it's nothing. And yeah. then they do their thing and get a shot. Like, oh, so this isn't like about to explode. Yeah. Like I just picture in the movies, the <laughs> yeah. like I step out and a rock goes under my boot and it's like a little spark and then <laughs> yeah. and then it go flying 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've always been shocked because I've been around several times that this happened. But I have heard, I've also, you know, in all our years of working in different crews and stuff, I remember, I can't, I think we were working together and classic having a coffee and somebody's telling some crazy story. And mm -hmm. I can't remember the guy's name, but he always had these really like violent stories <laughs> and talked about a guy, he was working up in the oil patch and uh, a guy on a machine was doing some work and hit a line, like a big one, mm -hmm. and it incinerated the machine and him in it. Mm -hmm. Like the machine was gone. That's crazy. Yeah, that's so different, different level. You hear those stories machines. and you're like, I'm a goner. I touched, just touched it. I'm just waiting to be like bright light yep. and <laughs> blow away in the wind. But yeah, working on the house was, was stressful. Mm -hmm. And, but super amazing experience for me of like having to um, depend on other people for help. Uh, having to work at a rate that was so difficult to maintain. Like my family at one point moved out to Alberta to just get out of the way so I could finish the house and living in a little holiday trailer in the empty lot next door. And I wasn't working with you guys at that point. It was just all in on trying to finish my house. Mm -hmm. And I remember nights where I would just work for 24 hours, mm -hmm. like just so that my family could come home. Mm -hmm. And working like that is terrible, but at the same time, there was something really great about it. Sure. And to have yeah. people come in and help, and there's people's names written behind the drywall, all the people that helped, you know, put in the flooring and different things. There's people's names all in that house. I wish we still had it. I, like even the people who live in it now, apparently they connected with Christy somehow. And they were chatting and said that our kids' names and stuff are still in that room under the stairs. Mm -hmm. And they can see our, the, the height of our kids. And you know, that, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff is pretty awesome. So I look back at that experience with a lot of gratitude because of my personality, I would have been too scared to do it. And to look back, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Mm -hmm. But if it wasn't for Luke in the community, I don't think I could have yeah. done it. And, I, and me, maybe. <clears throat> you weren't around oh yeah all right you say this I every I time i always do this i just feel like he's getting all that and like and brad is <laughs> no you were around yeah i was because you were you were in the didn't help at all but you know all all truth aside like like all truth aside all truth aside all just truth lie aside. just lie like i was i was brand new into construction still at that point too so maybe you just didn't notice me i just <clears throat> no i remember you in helping us with the footings and stuff because yeah. Luke and I got into a little bit of a row yeah. and you were there. That's right. Trying to help break it up. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so you were around, Yeah. but I think you were leaving soon for your adventures or something. Yeah, yeah that's true. Hmm. Yeah. I know. I, it's funny. Like I have specific memories of your house. One is meeting the tin bashers, which I think we mentioned oh, yeah. there that were like, they had, they were playing like wicked music and then some yeah. of them had like tattoos of like musical notes and they were like, yeah. they'd played in bands and stuff like that. That was super fun. And as far as the building process of your house, I remember those guys in there. I remember, and again, honestly, that's a little bit of where the UFC mm -hmm. thing came from. Right. Because once you had your house up and running, one of the things you do is you invite over, I don't know, sometimes there'd be three, sometimes there'd be 
10 or 15 well, guys. That one fight night is still, and my mind is like so epic. So our house had been more or less finished, not quite, but yeah. you know, livable and everything. Just finishing was left. But I remember being so excited to have people over. And so we had that big vaulted living room. And I remember, um, you know, getting our friends together and we had the TV with the fights on and then a secondary screen with a projector because we had about 20 of us mm -hmm. in there. And I remember getting so pumped because I wanted it to be fun for people who had never really been to fights before. Yeah. And so everybody came, I don't know if you remember this, but when everybody came in, they put their hand into a hat and pulled out a piece of paper with numbers, a okay. series of numbers. And the numbers indicated which fighter was theirs mm -hmm. for the night. So in each fight on the card, you got a number indicating yeah, the red or blue corner. And if your fighter won, you got a point. Mm -hmm. And then right. whoever had the most points at the end got a prize, which was an epic fight movie, Bloodsport. <laughs> and, awesome. you know, on DVD. Oh, and it was Bloodsport. And you remember that movie, I'm going to pronounce it around, Ong Bak? Ong yep. Bak, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with that awakened tie. Tony, yeah, Tony Jaw. Yeah. Oh, man. What UFC was it? Do you remember what number it was? It was something like UFC 65. And yeah. it was Randy Couture was fighting Tim Sylvia. Oh, yeah. And Randy had come out of retirement. And Tim Sylvia was like six six foot eight, monstrous yeah. destroyer of worlds. Yeah. And Randy was 43 at the time, came out of retirement. He's younger than me. Yeah, my age. He's your age. My age. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And he comes came out in, of retirement. Yep. Yeah, into <laughs> heavyweight, which the heavyweight yeah. limit is 265. And he was like 220 something. Yeah. And he comes in to fight this monstrous giant. And I remember all of us were sitting there and we're watching this fight and we were so hyped up because in the first round, and I had just watched this fight recently with Matthias mm -hmm. to show him. He's never watched UFC. Yeah. So I got to show you this epic fight. Yeah. Because in the first 10 seconds, Randy does the leg kick. And then the overhand yes, right I and that. knocks him down. Yeah. And I remember when we watched that. Him. Yep. Yeah. We all were off yeah. the couch yeah. screaming. Yeah. And then he just owned him the whole fight, taking yeah. him down. Yeah. And that experience with all the guys there was so awesome. Yeah. And we haven't really been able to replicate that experience since. Well, we did. When you moved away, actually, we did it oh, in my place. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, we haven't, I mean, I've, I haven't watched it a, a whole lot in the last several years. So I know you've kept up with it. There's a lot of new guys that I'm like, you know, but then you, you start throwing in some of the old names like Cerrone mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. whatever, like that guy's still around, you know, those are the ones that, oh, I want to see them fight again. But it's kind of a whole new breed since totally. Liddell and GSP yep. and Tito. Rampage, and, yep. And then who was the nipple twister guy? Oh yeah, oh, he would look Rashad, across the Rashad Evans, but then there was the other guy too. He, the, he had uh, the big Keith, Keith Jardine. That's who it was. That's yeah. who Keith it was. Jardine. <laughs> yeah. He'd look across yeah. his opponent from the other thing. There, squat he'd just be down, like sitting there squeezing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. So weird. <laughs> I think Chuck Liddell was like our favorite for the Ice Man there with yeah. his huge overhand rights, his mohawk. It yeah, so badass. Yeah, it fantastic. But it was pretty one dimensional back then to a but, certain degree. I mean, not exactly, but I mean, I remember also as a fan not understanding the ground game. Mm. Being like, sometimes fights would be on the ground and people would just kind of lose it. They're like, oh, this is so, it was on the ground the whole time. Yeah, boring. But then as we understood it more and got more educated, 
you realize there's this amazing chess match happening yep. and you knew what they were trying to do and like so when did that change because we we started watching it pretty early when royce gracie was dominating like well, crazy and then we he, used to rent the vhs yeah from right. blockbuster yeah. and like i've i think i've watched every ufc hmm. and back in the day we'd go we didn't even really know what it was you, you know how you're bored and well not anymore blockbuster <laughs> and you're like oh, what should we watch and i remember walking in through the aisle just a second for those young guys out there blockbuster was a movie rental place you'd go in and actually rent a vhs a big yeah. plastic box and if you were yeah. really lucky you could go to the place and they have a deal on seven movies for seven dollars for seven, seven days uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then you go in with a group of buddies and i remember you know you go buy all the action movies and you're like yeah whatever and then ufc stuck out because it had some guys face in the front all smashed in mm -hmm. and it's like real fights, no rules. And you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be cheesy, but this is going to be a good time. And renting them and then watching those crazy, crazy fights where there's no weight classes, no rules. Yep. yep. Ruthless. Full yep. on Ruthless fighting. punching to the junk. Yeah. Yep. Like before that was illegal. You yep. could The guy actually... with the Jesus tattoo on his, yep. on his back. I think you weren't allowed Head to bite. Head kicks while you're on the ground. You couldn't right? bite. You couldn't, couldn't bite. Eye gouge. And you couldn't eye gouge. Other than that. <laughs> for like, yeah. Oh, and Hoist Gracie oh. won. UFC won, and he yeah. was in his gi and yeah. just this legend, smaller frame guy, submitting people. And, and who was like, it? What is this? Who was it dethroned him? And the whole everything changed. The I wrestler Matt Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes. Well, Matt Hughes they fought at one point, way further on, but all the UFC buffs will get a kick out of this. Us trying to figure out what it was. I know there was a big duel between him and, him and Ken Shamrock. Oh right? yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't remember all the details of right. how they work because there was at one point, because then you used to have to fight multiple fights in one night. Mm. And he was so depleted uh, in a subsequent UFC. He was so depleted from his fights that his team wouldn't let him continue because mm. he just was so mm. exhausted and he couldn't do it. But he was willing to go. Yeah. And, I felt and like fight. the. the the torch got passed at Matt Hughes seems to be the case. Like that was where like totally. things changed. Like, okay, here's a legit wrestler who. Yeah. Cause they fought yeah. and it was a big deal that hoist came back. Yeah. And at that time, Matt Hughes was a big deal, just destroying mm -hmm. everybody. And you're right. It was different. It well, Cause was it like seemed like, in, like it was called like MMA, but it was more that in the early stages, it was like mixed mark. It wasn't so much that one person had a bunch of, they had their thing yeah. and they're yeah. going to fight against this thing. Whereas yeah. now it's like legit, this yes. one guy can do all the different. But that was part of the draw is you'd get some like kung fu dude yeah. versus a sumo yeah. wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, which one's better? It was cage fighting. Yeah. yeah. Was how and was like when Machida yeah. came in, like Machida with like the full on, yeah. you always remind me the way that you kind of like stand head back. The way I like, knock people out. Yeah. You knock people out. You just like, <laughs> yeah. I think Machida all the time. Like, yeah. The karate, the wide karate stand. And, we, and you have to, we have to pay homage just because he was the one construction mm. guy. Who was he? Hey, Guido. Clay Guida. Yeah, the carpenter. Because we yeah. were we were all framing, and whenever the carpenter would come out there, yeah. and he would always like say something in the States, I'm assuming it's a union, yeah. he would often like give yeah. something Props to the, the union. The yeah. carpenter's union, and yeah. I just loved him. And he wasn't the best fighter, but he was just full of piss and vinegar, just left it all out there. Yeah. Oh, he's He'd be completely bloody yeah. all over the place. And at the end of the fight, even if he got his ass kicked, he was just like pumped ready. Like he could go like like a Such would, a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Like crazy. Yeah, always a good fight. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the only one USC that I want to talk about at all is USC 100. Who was in that? Where Where do we see it? Because that was a big deal. 
I feel I like I don't the, really remember. I feel like that's Brock Lesnar days. Was that the beginning mm. of Brock? I just feel like the 100 was like a big the one the big one we I, well, there was the Rory McDonald and um what's his name? The one that you uh, want to show yes. Matthias. Yes, I can't yes. think of his name. I'm drawing a total Rory blank. Mc, no. Yeah. Robbie Lawler. Lawler. Mm. That one. I remember that was a Oh, that's still it's in the Hall of Fame now. That fight. But yeah, I I do remember there was some really big one that we Yeah. I thought it was 100. But anyway, um, okay, so there's some great, great thoughts and memories of, of your pay, place and construction. In regards to mine, the things that come to mind about my place is very similar. How about you got four kids, not then, had little kids and trying to build a house while you're running a company and have doing family, being a father and husband. And I know for us, like we moved into our house so early. Mm -hmm. Like no flooring, no doors, no railings. Mm -hmm. We had paint, no trim, mm -hmm. kitchen cabinet. We didn't have kitchen. Like it was, there was nothing. Yeah. And we had a bathroom sink or the kitchen sink was the only sink we had. Like it was, it was like that for us because Christy yeah. was pregnant with Olivia, our third, and her water breaks. We have no like shower tub or anything. It's just one toilet, one sink. Yeah. And go to the hospital come home with this new baby and her first bath was in the sink, kitchen sink. Yeah. And I remember cause she had these like heart complications and she's got all these things on her mm -hmm. and just this teeny little body in the kitchen sink and being like, same thing, your house isn't even done. Yeah. And you're just like, what am I doing? Yeah. So we spent all those years with little kids trying to finish the house. And basically the, the tasks of the house were kind of put underway by the mobility of the child. Yeah. You know, like they can start yeah. crawling. I better get some flooring down. Yeah. Oh, they're starting to stand. I better get the window liners in. So I'm putting their hand in the acoustic seal. Yeah. And like, it was all these things that were, were, uh, then they could move around. I need to put, finally build drawer fronts and doors from the kitchen on the lowers. So they can't get in there and they can reach. So is it all these things were kind of motivated by the. And you had these ambitious ideas. I, yeah. I did. That was a, that was like an art project in a sense for me. I had yeah. high lofty design plans, which I ended up executing, but they were super involved and like all these it, inlay in the yeah. floor and then mm -hmm. a matching inlay in the cabinetry and the and stairs like, and the railing and yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> white <laughs> cabinets done. Yeah. Yeah. I did all, I did all, uh, hickory, hickory cabinets with yes, yeah, square walnut inlays in the corners and the shaker doors. It was fun. All the from one scratch. Yeah. 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 I basically bought the materials and the tools to build it for like half the price of buying a custom kitchen yeah. and then built it all myself. Yeah. The, the, the thing that comes to mind about my place, that was like the scary, terrifying moment, which any framer will sympathize with was lifting my tall wall mm -hmm. at the back. Remember that. So it was so two stories. Just the three of us too. Yeah. Like they're like, we didn't yep. get anybody else to come help, which we so it wasn't, it wasn't very wide. Like it was, it was a portion where the, it went from two stories. So I think there was maybe like, I want to say eight feet of two story wall. And then it went down and there was a, a rake wall built into it for another like eight or 10 feet over a little dining room area. And the three of us had to lift that thing. And those tall walls, it's like, you get off the ground, like, oh, this feels fine. Mm -hmm. And you start walking it up. No, it's getting a little heavier. It's getting a little heavier. And you get to that, like, you know, three quarters or two thirds spot. And you're like, you're standing there and you're just like trying mm -hmm. not to let your back mm -hmm. snap in half mm -hmm. and that the wall just stalls and everyone's digging for mm -hmm. the last, last little bit of strength. All the weights now back up back over your head, over your head. Oh. Like, and, and I, you're, oh. I like to think 
<laughs> that most of the weight's on me because I'm the tallest. Right. And then it's yeah. mostly Brad hanging from the wall <laughs> as I'm pushing it up. Right. Is the usual yeah. routine. And right. all the things are going through your head at that moment. Like, you know, it's it's tacked down at the bottom. And you're like, if those tacks pull out yep. at the wall, then they're like tips. We're well, all getting smashed. And if it's not perfectly level in your head, you're like, okay, why is he not pulling his <laughs> oh, weight? Man. Yeah. And it was funny how you're like, you're you're pushing so hard. And what's going through your mind is like, is he even <laughs> is he even doing anything? Exactly. <laughs> you're just like, yeah. yeah. And you're imagining too, like the escape strategy. If it starts yeah. to go, it's like you got to bail. Yeah. Like you're either trying to dive out of the side or you're trying to aim for a window. That's going to totally. Charlie Chaplin how on many, top of you, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. How many times do you plan, yeah. oh. okay, the window's right yeah. here. If it starts to, I'm ducking yeah. into yeah. the window. Or you're going yeah. like, am I thinner than a two by six? Like if I just go, would <laughs> like it space? space. Would it, you know, space? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, then you're trying to break through the plywood. Oh man. Yeah, so I remember that wall. Just that went up like that was stupid. Let's never do that again. Well, I've been in that situation. I bet you a half dozen times since, where yeah. we got lots of guys for sure. This this is fine, and you, the same stupid thing happens, man. So yeah, that that process was was great, but it was a it was a huge job. And as much as I had promised myself not to be that guy, I didn't put the last piece of baseboard in until like the day before we moved out and so had sold it. Totally. You so know? it was the same for us. But it, I thought about this. It, uh, recently, like when we were building our houses, there was really not a lot of the process that was done online as far as like oh, research no, or anything. Yeah, that's true. And remember we did a, you guys had done a little membership with direct buy, direct buy. Yeah. <laughs> and in Summerland, we would have to drive into Kelowna, so yeah. 45 minute drive to go and just look at a catalog of whatever your cabinets your yeah. countertops whatever it was an hour then too because it was still a two-lane windy yeah. sketchy road yeah the bridge hadn't been redone yet and the either. highway wouldn't been four lanes yeah yeah that's so, a big deal yep. it was a huge deal and i remember being like i gotta go pick out lights uh, and you'd go yeah or flooring and then you would have you would get a call that it's been delivered and have to go get it whatever yeah i just was thinking about how inconvenient that was and wow mm -hmm. nowadays you can do all your research yeah Sit on the can on your phone and order yeah. a full custom kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we both got our houses done kind of similar time. And then, yeah, we were framing. I carried on framing. And to touch on your build as of, what'd you say? I think about seven, five years five, ago. Five years ago. Something like that. Because you as well. Now, now, the requirements for building when you did yours had changed. Yeah, quite a you bit. You needed official plans and you needed your own certification to be yeah. your own homeowner builder. Yeah. And you had to like go through a course and all yeah, that stuff. I had to, yeah, go through the course and study and then take this. And again, it was that whole classic stupid thing about this, like the centimeters to inches. And I'm like, I'm about to build my own house with a tape measure that is all in inches and do everything in inches. Let me give some and, context to that quick for our, our yeah, non-Canadian sure. audience. Yeah. So in Canada, we are a metric country across the board. Wish we were. So, Technically speaking, on paper, yes. we are metric. However, our fabulous neighbors in the basement, um, the <laughs> Americans are imperial. They were supposed to, I can't remember the year, but there was like a year, I want to say it was like 78 or, or You're just pulling it out of your ass. I That's... have looked it up a few times, I just can't remember. It's a, it's a while ago. They basically, all of North America was going to transition over to metric. Canada switched and the U.S. is like, yeah, that seems like a hassle, nah. So then Canada's like, pardon? We switched our signs and everything. We're, we're metric now. Yeah. And they're not. So we live in this stupid limbo of all building materials 
because we are by far and away the smaller nation, all building materials being built in imperial dimensions and our country being governed by metric. So we have to do a bit of both, which is a royal pain in the butt. Um, so we're always, I mean, 2.54 is forever in my head because that's a conversion from centimeters to inch. So I'm converting for like ordering concrete and all kinds of things. But for the most part, all of our buildings happen in Imperial, but then you do schooling in metric. So dumb. And super dumb. Sometimes do you guys give, we don't do this too much anymore now because of cell phones, but when you give people direction like, oh, we're just two miles down the road. Do you say miles or do you say kilometers? I think I say kilometers. I'm pretty, kilometers. but but I, it's you're right. It's not it's not uncommon at all for someone to be like it's like a mile yeah. or two miles, especially for our parents. Yeah. yeah, they'll say miles. I think of I think of like driving distance in kilometers and speed in kilometers per hour. Yes, but then anything smaller, like I think of in feet. Yeah, in yards. I can't say how tall you are in in metric. Me neither. Yeah. So we're, the we're, we're stuck to, in the stupid to, mess. Wait, like if I'm watching hockey and I'm like, oh, that guy's big, I go look up his stats and it says he's like so many centimeters tall and he's, he's 67 kilograms. I'm like, what the? Yeah, so well, I can't picture that. And me, yeah. me neither. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that being the reality of you going into school to yeah. do this program yeah. and you're all like, oh, great metric. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like, but luckily passed the thing and I was able to do the, the house, do the homeowner builder. Thing, which turned so talk out, about the design of your house a bit because your house is unique did you draw your own plans i did yeah i drew i mean i drew them out on the thing but then i had to get them converted oh okay. uh, ken um actually took yeah. them and made them like a legit thing um, sweet so yeah i think with mine like again like i th it was interesting actually going into the house and i remember having conversations with a few good friends because there's part of me that i'm like i'm so blessed that i get to build my own house this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. that I get to build, you know, like I've had parents and in-laws that have helped out. And, you know, we basically got given this mm -hmm. lot by my in-laws and I get to build this place. And I never, similar to you, like I never in a million years really wanted to for one. And then second, never had the skills like, you know, so mm -hmm. it wasn't until framing with you guys and learning and then being like, man, I could actually mm -hmm. do that. But I remember like when I, you know, traveling a little bit around the world and finding things, I was always drawn to like kind of that, this, the rustic but modern marriage, you know, of kind of mm -hmm. like this kind of like brick, but then with white and maybe some black steel, kind of like this New York uh, apartment kind of style thing, right? And so I remember actually when my wife and I we were in Australia um, with buildings, we were actually taking pictures of different things and the mm -hmm. way that the wood transitioned to the brick, to the white, to the drywall cool. and stuff like that. And so I think that was just kind of stewing in my mm -hmm. brain for a long time. And so when it actually came up that I had this opportunity, it was like the thing that I struggled with was because I'm also the type of person that like, I feel like I could live in a crappy trailer and be totally fine with it. I'm like, I could live in a tiny little place and mm -hmm. I would make it my own. And I would, I would kind of probably make it unique as well. I would make some trailer into like the wickedest trailer you, you've ever been in. Well, mm -hmm. to, for context too, like I think of as kids yeah. in your room, right? you couldn't see the walls. It was like, basically wallpapered and posters and gizmos and gadgets and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's like a museum. Yeah. And your workstation in the shop <laughs> yeah. is the same. It's like just all kinds of gadgets, gizmos and totally. decorations. I haven't and seen very many pictures of me at your workstation, <laughs> but a lot of pictures of Luke. You yeah. guys like smiling. Yeah. Friends. No, if you look actually in the garbage can, there's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but... Um, 
And so I think that, that, so if you take those kind of things, that's a little bit of the way my house is kind of turned down. And so I remember struggling though, like, is it wrong for me to, to make this, this thing, this, this home and put all this art and put this, t the time into doing all these extra things? Cause obviously it costs more money. It's, um, you know, like, like how important is that? Is, am I doing it because I want people to come in and be like, oh, wow, you have this big thing. And it was kind of this battle inside. And I remember it was talking to somebody, I can't remember, maybe if it was, maybe even Justin or one of you guys or Lee or something like that, being like, Brad, you are created with this, this passion, with this artistic thing. And to be able to build this and to express yourself through your home and everything is a beautiful thing. So don't, mm. Don't feel guilty that you have this desire to build something beautiful and unique and whatever. And that actually, I think, gave me almost that freedom to be like, yeah, that's that's a really cool way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, I think, what I was able to, to do, to put that into the house and have it be kind of that. And it's obvious when you go into your house mm -hmm. that you have put that time in, not to impress anybody, mm -hmm. not to uh, appear a certain way, but to do to express yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the first time I went into your house, I was like this, like museum is a good word, or it's, it's a display of like artistic mm. creativity, how you would go to the dump and find unearth treasures yeah. and then turn it into something like you did with the sink in the bathroom with like an old sewing machine and the lockers and the, the brick on the wall and how you were able to find like old timbers. And there's just, so much story in yeah. every part of that house yeah. that it's a shame that whoever, if you ever had to sell that house someday, they're not going to have the friggin' any notion mm -hmm. of what heart is in there. And I felt the same way about selling our house. Yeah. Like the people who buy it have no idea. And we had to rent our house for a couple of years. That's even worse. Cause then you have people who, you know, the, all their best efforts, it deteriorates and kind of starts to fall apart. Sure. And just that feeling of like, when you build a house, you're genuinely putting your heart and soul and body, mm -hmm. everything into this thing. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it for your family. And it's a really powerful experience, but mm -hmm. it's also entirely depleting. And all of those huge like wrestling matches of like, yeah, there's people in the world hungry and yeah. don't have a home. And here I am stressing about... Yeah. Like in my case, a uh, friggin' engineer wants me to do a rock pit here or there and I got to yeah. put this, you know, whatever. Yeah. You're, you're just stressing about yeah. all these little things? Yeah, there's so much that goes goes into it. And I mean, and part of it too is like, I think my wife also, like I would, I would talk about, you know, this is what I want to do. And then I would kind of run it past her. And then she would kind of like, she was a really good barometer, if that's the right word, of of kind of keeping me on track. You know, she basically is the one who, took care of the kids, kept working. And I was able to basically stop work and just build the house. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, so her influence and support was huge in that. And as I talked about in a, in a different episode, if you guys listen, you'll, you'll also hear that I, I crashed on that house. Like I full on had a, a burnout, mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it, you know, counseling, medication, off work for, because of what I put into that house. Mm -hmm. And so in retrospect, would I do it a different way? Absolutely. Like I would not, I don't recommend going and building a house pretty much by yourself. And, you know, like, uh, you know, you feel good. You think you're, you know, it was, it was the wrong choice. And at the same time, the things that I've learned from it, it forced me into places that I never thought I would go mm -hmm. into. It forced me to let a lot of the guard down, have other people come and support and love me and my family. 
mm-hmm. um, and, and help finish the thing. And so now when I see it, that house is so much more than just that artistic piece, but it's this story of, of being loved by other mm-hmm. people and having, um, yeah, I think that's, that's something that it's also really become too. So super thankful for that, but yeah, don't yeah. do it by yourself. There's a couple of things that come to mind about your place because you had a stupid tall wall too. Yeah. And again, from all of our past running experience, because you had a two-story wall and was it two by eight? Yep. Two by eight wall. And, and it was, it's it almost was the long. length. Like it's, yeah, it's 40, 30, 40 feet. Something like that. And we knew that. And so we invited a bunch of guys Tons. down. We had an army of people. Yeah. And we still barely got that bugger yep. up in the air. It was terrible. I know. We're like, we're not going to do what we did, you know, with the three of us. Oh, and I think we just we misjudged the, the weight because there was a bunch of posts or things yep. to hold all the steel in that one yeah. spot. So there was a lot of wood in it. So maybe we and, just. Oh, yeah. that was another, that was a bugger. And the other one I remember um, was the process of you kind of artistically creating the house at different stages and trying to get your head around some unique ideas. And at one point you came to me like, hey, I got this idea. I want to run by you for my stairs. Okay. Like, what do you think if for the stringers of the stairs, if I do them exposed, I use railway track. I was like, uh, railway (laughs) track. Because I found railway track. I I phoned (laughs) the the rail company that that we have a train that comes through Summerland. I phoned them and taught, found, I got my way to the top, found them. I'm like, do you have any? And I actually, he was going to give them to me for free. Yeah. These two huge long things of railway yeah. track. So we kind of check around a little bit and realize that, oh, railway track actually is like a wet noodle. It's yeah. not rigid at all. Yeah. Like it needs tons of support. So then it goes from railway track. Okay, no, that's that's not an option. Well, you know, structural steel stringers, that'd be neat. That'd be cool. And then Brad's got this like, basically it's like a two-story living room kitchen area. And then he wanted to do like a balcony around that goes in and also the rooms upstairs. It's kind of this chalet kind of loft feel. Yeah. And the whole construction of your kind of catwalk area and stairs, which you weren't too sure how we were going to do it, turns into a structural steel cantilevered with like funky angles and all kinds of crazy. Yeah. And I basically remember, just gave that to you. I'm just like, this is what I want. I had to draw it. Like, this is what I want it to look like. And like, yeah. you have to use the brain because I do not I do not have even the slightest uh-huh. ability to do that. But so those of you who work with structural, structural steel know how crucial it is to have perfect plans and dimensions and then perfect communication between builder and architect and engineering. And if anything is out of line at all, the whole thing is a mess. Mm -hmm. So I remember like after you kind of, we talked about, okay, this is the direction you want to go. Here's how it'd have to work. Here's how we cantilever things and run this beam back into here and to catch that one. Okay. We'll kind of mock it up. We'll take it to the steel fab place. Mm-hmm. They'll do up their drawings. Okay, that should be good. Now bring it to me. I'll have a quick look over it. I yeah, look at it. These are the official plans. Like these, yeah. this is just before we're going to get the steel made. Yeah. So then I, I look at it. And I'm like, well, no, this isn't right. The run won't finish here. And that's the wrong number of stairs. And this intersection. Okay, no, time out. We go back to his place. And we're snapping on the floor, remeasuring. And it was probably like four, four or five revisions. Yeah. Like substantial. Like, let's get it built. Let me check yeah. one more time. Yeah. Nope, this is screwed again. It was such a such a huge job, but by the time it all came together and we craned it all in, yeah. it basically all fit perfect. But yeah. it was, yeah, that was. Oh, and remember on the day, because we on the day we were going to put the steel in place and do the trusses right after the steel was right. in place. So we had everything there. We're putting the steel because everything was there previously. Putting all the steel in, and then the one long huge steel that went from that side to this house wasn't there. Right. And we're like, uh, the cranes here. Everyone's here. This is the day. The day. Yeah. 
We're missing and I a phone beam. the phone the company. Luckily, they're only in Penticton, about a twenty minute drive. I'm like, oh, we're missing like the main thing, and they're like, what? And they went out in the back of the yard. What? Yeah, we got it here. We'll ship it right out right away. <laughs> and so they chucked it on a big truck and drove it out. And luckily, we oh. kept going. But that was like, yeah. I thought. Well, I'll have to do a uh, an Instagram reel or stories about your house and do a quick walkthrough and show yeah, the yeah. details. It's it is just full of just gems everywhere you look. I mean, That's I remember the one. the the timbers that you found that were floated in the lake that we went and got, and then we had to yep. build a sled, the chainsaw to mill them. Oh yeah, and all that, and it's full I know, of sand. We were sand. trying to figure out, and then you you had to sharpen your chainsaw like oh, every, every two foot. feet or something. Yeah, because yeah, it was just full of sand and just yeah. destroying my yeah. chain. The latest thing, yeah. actually, too, that I'm just working on, and so this is five days. That I told Mickey, my son, I'm yeah. like, out from your bedroom. I was, at first, I was thinking, oh, I was going to do like a fire pole or something down there. But then it's like, well, if you have this big gaping hole, I don't want kids to fall down it and, you know, safety, whatever, because you're not legally allowed to have that stuff. And so what I actually did, I'm probably incriminating myself as I say this. But anyway. Um, you got your final inspection. Yeah, it's all you're done. done. So anyway, um, <laughs> but what I did is I actually, in the floor system between upstairs and downstairs, I made this big this square in there. Um, so that after I got inspection, like I'd floor it over it, drywall over it, so you can't see it. And um, so got the inspection. So now I've taken out the drywall. So now I have the chute that goes up to my son's room. And I, I was trying to figure out different ways to have something safe, you know, with a hatch. And so actually just like last week, I picked up um, for free on Facebook, there was a stair lift for, you know, for people, seniors to mm -hmm. go down the thing. And so I picked one of those up and I like rewired it, took it all apart. And so I'm going to create a platform on it and they're not supposed to go straight up. They're supposed to be like on a 45 or like that, but I've already tested it. It picked up 350 pounds and my son's only like, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's probably like close to hundred pounds or something, <laughs> but anyway. And so I'll, I'll strap that to the wall and then there's this, this remote. You just stand on it and you press the thing right up through the hatch in his floor. <laughs> I can't wait. I want to make something like it's a redneck elevator. Oh, it's a redneck That's elevator. Awesome. So hopefully, hopefully that works. But yeah. yeah, you could sell it someday as a, as a house with an elevator, and but don't show any pictures or anything. Just yeah, says true. It, technically, it's got an elevator. Well, I figure if Steph and I stay in the house till we're like gray and old, you know, instead of taking You'll the stairs, I'll just be able to take yeah. up take the <laughs> awesome. stair lift up. Um, okay, let's do a quick gallop through um, our career histories just to kind of catch people up to your guys' situations. So mine's been spoken of in, in a fair bit of depth in that basically I've basically been in construction, um, building homes and then transitioned into the tool belt uh, company here about six and a half years ago-ish when I kind of started that and do this now. So give us a a, uh, a quick gallop through your career history. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, speed yeah. round. So kind of go through your jobs you've had and what you've done. So when we met in 1999 uh shortly after that is when you hatched the idea to go learn for me to go learn framing we went together up north and so my first kind of career was construction i did it for about eight years but i did around the time when we were building our houses is when i stepped out of acrobus and <clears throat> after i finished my house I started doing a bunch of other stuff in construction. I did siding, I did roofing, I did gutters, I did stonework, all just because I thought it was fun to try different things, but the opportunities were there to just help different people that we had connections with. But none of it really felt like, man, I this is it. This is what I want to do. Because I knew I didn't really want to do framing forever, which is why I was happy to step out of Acrobus at the time. But that led to 
um, my wife and I starting a photography business. And so we went and did that for a few years, did weddings. I did sports photography. Brad helped me on a couple projects doing, uh, photographing downhill skateboarding, which was really sweet. Our epic adventure driving yep. through the night into Goldendale, Washington, mm -hmm. w drove all the way through the night, hiked up and down that mm -hmm. amazing Mary Hill, Mary Hill yep. and the Mary Hill festival of speed. Yep. And we were hiking up and down and then jumped back in the car and drove back. And you got pulled over. No, we did yes, we you did. You got a speeding ticket. <laughs> remember? Oh, yeah. No, I had forgotten about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Speeding ticket. But I remember the drive back because we had synced it up with like we had done a wedding and photographed the wedding. Then you and I took off. Yeah. And it was so awesome. But I remember mm -hmm. it. <laughs> I remember at one point, actually, sorry, on the way there. <clears throat> and it was like this crazy, clear, dark, dark night. Mm -hmm. And we were who knows where, because you're traveling in the dark. And at that point, I think we had just a GPS or a map. It was no like iPhone yep. business. Yep. And so we're kind of like just going for it, traveling through who knows where. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had both had to pee. And so we pull over in the, its forest and there was like a bridge. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, we both were like, let's pee off the bridge. So we run back, we pull over, run back to the bridge, and we're standing there having a leak off the bridge. Just kind of like, wow, it's so nice. <laughs> and I remember both of us never said anything to each other, but both of us were overcome by this fear because it's like this huge full moon. And we're peeing, having a leak. And as you're, you're kind of laughing and chuckling, and it's cold. And so we're like, <laughs> and then. We hear this like, <laughs> and we, we were kind of looking around, tr quickly trying to finish peeing and then walking, but getting faster and faster and faster, <laughs> running back to the vehicle. And we jump in, shut the doors and get going. And I remember both of us being like, did you hear that sound? And quickly trying to get in the car. Yeah. But we slept in the car, yeah. drove home. And I remember the drive home, us switching. Yep. But I was so tired. Mm -hmm. I There was honestly hours i didn't even remember yep and we get back and i'm like i don't even know how we made it back yep uh no so, i remember that I'm, and honestly I, I honestly do remember getting pulled over something the difference between a canadian police officer and american one like when a canadian one pulls me over i'm like hey okay here's my information thing and thanks a lot yeah there's something like the, when the american guy pulled out i was like you shoot us <laughs> like, you watch all these like stuff online yes. of like yes. crazy things that some of the the yeah. American cops, you know, and so I remember like, just like, show me stuff and just, I don't know, do you got a yeah. bunch of money you could just give them? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But we, uh, so we did photography for a few yeah. years and then uh, went and lived in the Gulf Islands and uh, directed a small Bible camp. Um, we worked with foster kids, inner city kids. We did that for five years. Um, uh, we ran like, a, a, along with the camp, we did a program for uh, like a gap year program for kids coming out of high school. And they lived with us at the camp. We had some the starting beginnings of like doing a little bit of, I got a big, huge garden and orchard. And we really believed in community and wanted to create opportunities for kids that had come from pretty rough childhoods mm -hmm. to have a bit of experience of family and working together. And I remember trying to teach guys how to, how to work and they didn't want to climb ladders. They didn't want to wear steel toed boots. And I'm like, what's with these 
young people. And it's made me feel like so old, but it was such a, that was an amazing time. And then uh, after that I did, uh, I managed a woodworking shop. Then I started a business where I did uh, marketing and management HR support for small businesses and did that for a bunch of different companies and then ended up um, getting into more doing illustration and graphic design more full time uh, and was able to work with a lot of neat companies and ended up kind of work started to dry up. I ended up working for a, a, a friend of mine who uh, has this unique business where he would gather kind of discarded wood from around the area in Southern Alberta <clears throat> and would mill it up, dry it and sell it slabs and build furniture for people. Mm. And so I worked with him. That was really cool <clears throat> being able to build some furniture with him and then ended up moving back to Summerland was a youth pastor and then an associate pastor. And then uh, now I'm here. Mm. So a pretty long variety of things. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So many. And what about you? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my work thing, again, didn't grow up uh, like Luke doing the construction stuff. It's really strange to me that that's pretty much all you've done. Not like in a negative. That's my it's stuff. true, though. I know. But yeah. Like, it's weird. I'm like, when I think back on it, I'm like, it's always been that stuff. Like, it's yeah. like mowing lawns was like probably the first thing back in the day. And mm -hmm. then it just right into construction. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I was again more into, my dad is a really social person, um, loved kind of like uh, a lot more of that, those kind of social jobs, really good with people. So he was into the restaurant stuff. And um, and then at uh, on Thetis, he was like a conference coordinator, you know, dealing with people. So I think I had a certain amount of that. I enjoyed people. I enjoyed hosting. I enjoyed that. And so that kind of led me down more of the restaurant thing, right? So I mean, I worked at Starbucks. I worked at... Uh, as a cook in um, in Edmonton at like Julio's Barrio, all you Edmontonians, um, the Iron Horse, uh, the Billiard Club, places like that. Um, and so like I really enjoyed that stuff. And then when I came to Summerland, I, you know, I worked in another coffee shop. And then I would kind of like jump into construction. Like I learned and I was with you for a solid uh, I don't know how many years, but then I would I would kind of go off and I would do another thing. I we started a coffee van. Um, which actually Dustin, you did all the design, like you did our logo and a bunch of our, a bunch of that stuff, which was, I still am so proud of how, <laughs> when I, when people hear a coffee van, I'm not talking like we, we got like a little safari van and, and turned it into like, you know, some pots of coffee at the back of the hatch. Right? Oh, it was wicked. It was really wicked. Cause when my wife and I were in Australia, that was a big thing that they have in Australia is that a lot of the coffee that they have there, they had these wicked, uh, little like mercedes vans and they would open up the back and they would have like a legit really nice ranchilio coffee espresso machine in the back and and that's how they had these things set up all over the place and they would go from business to business um and it wasn't like this lame food truck not that food trucks are lame i know some of those are amazing but so we came back to canada and we we're like i wonder if we could just because it was like winter and stuff like that we thought in the winter time i don't want to be outside i wonder if there's some way we could we could you know, have this mobile, you could actually come into the back of the van. And then this is the time when like the Dodge Sprinter, like those big tall vans were just coming out. Like, you know, you would, we hadn't really seen them. Mm -hmm. um, and so we ended up getting our hands on like one of those big Dodge Sprinter 
vans that you could stand up. We had this folding stair that came back and you would walk right up into the back of the van. We had like nice flooring in it. We floored it with like interior proper flooring, this little bench in there. We had like pictures, these little pot lights that came down. And then there was like this big um, stainless steel uh, countertop with like a nice ranchillo lever pole like that. Coolest that machine. was like the Man. Ferrari of, of we have to get machines. one in this shop. I know. I would love so awesome. one of those. Like so cool. It anyway, like stacks on a big diesel truck. You yeah. Big levers. You yeah. press the. Oh, so so cool. sweet. And so again, it was like again a little bit of an art project too to create this vehicle that just like you'd like you'd pull up somewhere and people would be like, "Holy crap! There's a coffee shop inside." It feels and looks and and along with painting the picture. Yes. The name of it was the Valley Grind. Yep. Yep. And it's funny because the original name, I was out, I was watch, I was out on the lake. I was looking around. I'm like, what is that? I'm trying to figure out a good name. And I thought of the daily grind. That mm -hmm. was the name that I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm like the daily grind. Cause it's like, we're going serving yes. it to people and they're in the daily grind, the work thing, but it's, it's grind perfect. of coffee. This is really, no perfect. one's ever thought of this. <laughs> no so one I go, no I go ever. online. I'm like, da, 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 go to check and see if and there's, see the domain name, make my wicked website. And it's like, the daily grind, every coffee shop, everyone's thought of it. And yeah. there's no, all these different logos. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm not that original. Yeah. <laughs> so the Valley grind, anything. Yeah. So but anyway, but then the recession hit and, and basically that just shut thing down 2008, I believe yeah. that was. And so all the places that we were serving, everyone just went to like skeleton crew and all of our customers were just like gone. So that yeah. shut down. Yeah. Um, and then, then after that, I ended up getting into like the school district. My wife is a teacher and I ended up getting into the school district as well uh, as an EA and then getting into a behavior intervention um, thing where I basically worked with all the kids in the district that had like severe behavior coming from various backgrounds, similar to the kids that you would have had at, at camp, you know, that just mm -hmm. come from really struggling and just fell in love with those type of kids. And, mm -hmm. and just like some of these kids that we think are just, you know, a lost cause and they're whatever are the most beautiful kids inside once you get to know them and you hear their story hear what they've gone through and then you get to mm -hmm. see these kids and be a part of their life and and help them succeed and so that was a really cool thing um did that for several years and then yeah and, and through all of my job i've always been into video stuff a little bit just kind of messing around with with video stuff and then eventually similar to you doing photography you know um one thing kind of leads to another and so i still kind of continue to do that stuff um, mm -hmm. Even working here at the shop, I get to do some of that stuff and for different things around the community. And um, that know, was that was a time I remember being amazed with your love of patience and understanding for those kids, because that's a, a major difference between you and I. Right. And like your your sense of empathy and understanding and social awareness mm. for those kids, and you became the kind of go to guy in the whole area here. As like, if you can get Brad to to be mm. in your class to deal with that. You, you get to sign the most challenging kids in the area. And then the stories are you telling me about yeah. kids throwing chairs through windows and yeah. like crazy, crazy stuff that, <laughs> that what I thought was so funny that I want you to tell was uh, the kid that, that climbed up onto the top of the uh, playground stuff with a whole bunch of rocks. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. How did that I one mean, go? That, I mean, again, like, for those of you that work with these subjects, like like they become the norm. Like you're just like that's just what happens. But yeah, this kid came, and 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 in the particular playground, it's all that pea gravel or whatever mm -hmm. like that. And again, it was brilliant because we were all trying to like rally around and and make sure that he's safe. 
but also that all the other kids are safe, you know, um, because some of these kids can be pretty, pretty unsafe. And he just filled his pockets and everything with all this gravel and got to the top of the top of this playground. And like, if you got close, you were going to get a handful of rocks in the face. And he was just like whipping rocks at, at people. And it was just like, that was a really, really intense one. But I, another one I would say. But that, how did that finish? Because that's what I wanted to. Honestly, I don't even. I, okay. I remember because you told to me. So I remember you talking about you guys cleared all the kids off the playground yeah. and you and I thought the principal yeah. were standing off to the side and he ran out of rocks and you were watching oh, out of the corner yeah. of your eye waiting for him to get the ground so yeah, you can go, so get, a hold can of go him. get a hold of him. That's right. And you, you talked about how he climbed on super slow. He was watching you and he didn't think you were watching him. Yeah. And as soon as his feet touched the ground, you bolted over yeah. and he screamed. <laughs> yeah. Screamed the top <laughs> of his lungs. Yeah. And you went trucking over yeah. there and got yeah. a hold of him and was yeah. like, calm the situation down. Yeah, it's I not just... like a tackle. You can't do that. You know, you have to have, like you literally, we had to go through training on how to restrain kids to make sure that, you know, it was as safe as possible. And, you know, you want to do all that stuff to have the least impact on them. So they're not going to have this traumatic experience and stuff. But the, the one that I remember, the, what, which was still, it's funny in my mind, is I had this one kid that something had happened at school. So I had him in the office and we're, um, and then all of a sudden the fire alarm went. Just this random thing. So all of a sudden everybody has to go outside. So I'm with this kid um, outside. And then so the, the, the fire trucks and everything come and they check the school out. All fine. Everybody could go back in. And so we're going back in. Um, and I'm supposed to go to this other class. And so I say to the two principals, I'm like, you guys got uh, this guy here? You're all, you're all good? You know? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. We're fine. So I go back into school while all the kids are coming back to school. And I look out the window once I get back in. And this this little dude has realized that, like, I'm not there and the principals aren't paying attention. And he's running across the field all the way across to, to the fence. And so I'm like on the window yelling at the principals, he's running away. <laughs> and so they turn around. And so you see these two, like, you know, principals in past their prime trying to run after this kid. <laughs> kid hits the fence up over this big fence, jumps off into the neighborhood and into the city, just like takes off down the thing there. And so like, we're all on the radios and we're like, you know, called the police or like, there's a kid who's run off. And we found him in a, in a grocery store. Um, he had hidden on one of the shelves in a grocery store, like cleared all of the all the macaroni and all the stuff and made this big spot and then like crawled in there and in the hood. And so you couldn't even see him when you're down the aisle. It's brilliant hiding wow. spot, you know, and then ended up Jeez. finding him. And, but again, a fantastic kid, mm -hmm. like it, all said and done, like, you know, well, like, it's funny bumping into some of those kids that you worked with totally. from years and years ago now. And you're like, Oh, you're fairly well adjusted. You're yep. holding down a job. And, yep. and the, the exactly. impact that that was had through yep. your patience with them. That's yep. so cool. Um, yeah. so that, that, outlines a little bit this like the differences in our personalities um being that i'm somewhat analytical you're very social mm -hmm. and you can kind of end up on the emotional passionate side of things with our endeavors um and so i want to talk a little bit about um what that's like in a work environment when you're working with and around and for people of very different personality types mm -hmm. um I know like for me with my history of building, I was just thinking this morning, for some reason, I think almost all of my employers when I was working for other other people were Frenchmen, mm. which is strange. Like I, I think five of them, five of the six, maybe the guys that I ever worked under were, were French guys. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it was about French guys coming to Western Canada and then being successful and and somewhat And when we say French guys, for the rest of the people, this yeah, is like... people from Quebec. Quebec French, which is yeah. the French-speaking province of Yeah, in Eastern Canada. Eastern Canada. Um, I mean, the, the stereotype is that they were 
angry Frenchman mm-hmm. was the, my experience. Um, and that, that was fairly true for the guys that I worked with. They were somewhat short-tempered and mm-hmm. somewhat intense, but also very, very good, precise mm-hmm. builders, knew what they wanted and how to get it. Um, yeah, but it was, it was interesting working under those sort of people because I always looked at, at those employers that I had and for some reason, I, I like I wanted to be a really good employee. I wanted to be a rock star employee that they were really keen on. But I always thought in the back of my mind, if I've ever, if I'm ever an employer someday, what characteristics do I want to bring to to my business? You know, there's elements of each of those guys that I really, really wanted to adopt and have part of my my future if that was something I got into. And there was definitely things that I didn't want to include as well. Um yeah, working under these, these, these Frenchmen and then working, you know, on crews under, you know, a foreman, um, you know, some of them that were like really, really just stereotypical tradespeople that were like, you know, I, I can't stand working with stupid people. I remember one of my bosses <laughs> saying, and I'm like, well, I know you're not happy with everybody on the crew at times. So we're all just stupid people to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the guys, the coworkers that I had, you know, I remember with some guys, it was pretty sad. But on a pay, payday, you know, buddy doesn't have a vehicle. He's like, yeah, can you drop me off at, at Money Mart? And he goes straight in, cashes his check, straight yeah. to the pub, total rock star for the weekend, buying drinks for everybody, broke my Monday. Yeah. Right? Like, it's such a such a shame. And and there's abuse in that. And there's yeah. other guys that had had, I remember um, a fellow named Tom, who was like a wicked awesome framer. Um, and he had his own companies at times, and he got burnt bad but i think a business partner and basically was end up bankrupt and mm-hmm. and uh, ended up going back to just work for other people it's like i just keep it super simple now and he was a great framer and just a gem of a guy mm-hmm. um you know my employees that i had over the years i had all sorts that i that i had work for me you know some guys that that were living off the grid mm-hmm. very unique quirky weird mm-hmm. characters that were like super hard working but in some ways somewhat naive and gullible mm-hmm. but still like really reliable and, and, and great, you know, loving people. Um, yeah, such a wide, wide range. And in the midst of all that, you know, to be a good coworker and a good employer to those people was a matter of respecting the people around me and respecting who they were and that you can't treat everybody all the same. And we've we've talked about this in our, in my family, my kids is that, um, Fair is not always equal, mm-hmm. um, which is a really true thing that I think is worth embracing in any kind of social interaction. Um, you know, it's it's the easiest thing to just be fair mm-hmm. across the board. And I thought about that, you know, as having kids, I'm going to treat them all exactly the same. You know, I'm going to be super consistent and it'll be super fair and it'll be, you know, I might have to have some hard discussions, but it'll be somewhat black and white and somewhat easy. Well, then you have kids that are wired so different from one another. You know, with, with my kids, I can have one that I can raise my voice a little bit and they crumple and cry and they fall apart. Mm-hmm. Other kids that are like, will stand their ground and need far more deliberate, intentional interaction, discipline to actually make any kind of a dent at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. Like I find there's a fine balance of like being sensitive to the people that you're around, but still maintaining consistency and trying to be as fair as is possible. Like there, you can't land on any extreme. Because mm-hmm. there's a point in the middle, if I'm gonna respect people properly, I have to cater to who they are as an individual to a reasonable degree, 
And one thing that dad always told us that stuck with me forever was that my, my job as an employee is to make my boss's job a joy. And if you're ever an employer, it's your job to make your employee's job a joy. And I think if both of those things are done from both sides, <clears throat> um, it's like in marriage, if that's done, you're working for the benefit of the other person, you end up with a really, really positive environment. And when the hard times come, you're able to proactively work through them together. Um, and even if it's only one-sided, you still end up with the best possible situation that you could have. Even what do you, it's not what do you find, like, being on both sides, what's easier? As being far a, as employee or employee? Yeah, to make your, your boss's job a joy or to make your employee's job a joy? That's a good question. Um, I think as an employee, it's simpler. Mm -hmm. But I'd say it's more rewarding as an employer. Um, is how I think I would define that. As an employee, it's pretty, you can kind of look at your environment and your surroundings and look at how can I be an asset here? Mm -hmm. How can I be proactive? How can I um, have forethought of the upcoming steps we're going to be engaged in and get ahead of it so that my boss comes to ask me, I'm already engaged. Mm -hmm. But also doing that carefully because I also don't want to make the wrong decision and actually be counterproductive, sure. which I've had employees do that. They think, oh, I'm going to do this thing and get way ahead. And they they endeavor to to get ahead as they see it by starting some kind of a project. And then we come across it and like, oh, that, no, I, I see what you're trying to do there. <laughs> I appreciate the attention, but that actually just means now that we're, we can't do our point loads or we, we who knows, there's all kinds of yeah. negative consequences. They don't have a, a big picture of it. Um, but that pursuit of like trying to make your boss's job a joy, I think is somewhat, as long as you don't have an employer that won't be satisfied ever. Sure. You know, you can have really nasty employers at times. But I think it's a fairly simple, straightforward pursuit to make your boss's job a joy and your superior uh, workmates a joy, your uh, coworkers. From an employer standpoint, um, that's far more complex because you're in a position of authority and leadership, which can be a position that people feel threatened and intimidated. And I also want to be their friend and be respectful but there is a working relationship that needs to exist. But when it's done well, which isn't always the case, it's really, really satisfying. When mm -hmm. you see other people thrive that you're able to invest in and they're able to maintain a livelihood and enjoy their work, like that's mm -hmm. super, super satisfying. Um, and a, a huge part of that respect and that working well is when I fall short of executing that well, is then having the humility to be like, hey, what I did or said in that situation, you know, there was a lot going on and maybe I was, I was too short and rational. There was things going on. That, that was, that's on me, mm -hmm. you know, to, to model that humility to be like, I, I, I screwed up and I, I, I apologize for that because it's so easy, especially in the trades world, it seems that, you know, people are like, I want to be a boss someday so I can be an asshole to everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, I can finally be in charge and yeah. I can say what's what, which is which a crappy motivation. And how many of those people are successful when they want to just, it was like, like you hear yeah. that and you're like, it'll be interesting to look you up in five years and see how that went. Yeah. You and I, I hear all the time, like, you know, over your career, how has it been like, how do you end up with employees? Isn't it so hard to find employees? Yeah. I'm like, no, it's, I've always had no problem finding employees because I've got to, I've tried to foster an environment that people would want to be a part of what we're doing. So I get the best people coming to me asking for work. Yeah. Well, I think I, one thing I noticed too early on when you guys started the company, it, it was, it took a while for me to realize 
that as there was more employees coming on, I'm like, these guys are buying houses because of, because of this company. These guys are, you know, they're, they're able to like buy presents for their kids and to bring up families. And, and again, just the, I don't think I really, cause I've never had employees really understanding the weight that is, you know? And so when work is short, when you go through a time and maybe it's a, you know, it's, it's the way things are financially in the country, whatever like that. And there's a shortage, you know, how, like how, how you would have to carry that. Like if I don't have work, buddy doesn't get to put that payment on his house or that vehicle or, you know, so what's, what's it like kind of carrying that weight? That That's definitely a, a weight. And that, that comes with a, a trust and a faith that, you know, you, you basically have to do the best with the time that you've got, mm-hmm. be as prepared as possible. And when things go sideways, you roll with it the best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was some times that seemed to be divine intervention where things came together when I was like, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I remember finishing a project and I had the next couple of projects lined up. We had five guys on the crew and we were just wrapping up a house on a Friday, starting a fresh one on a Monday. And I got a call on Friday that the other job fell through. Someone else took it and I just got the shaft. I was like, I've got five guys to start on Monday. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden out of nowhere, we don't have work. And I, I was fortunate enough over my career that I, I think we maybe had in the 16 years I was working, we didn't have work in total for maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like we were able to just go straight through the recession, through 2008, all of that stuff. We didn't stop. But that particular instance um, was probably the most acute example um, where we were dump off a job. We didn't get a job. It was supposed to start on Monday. And, and I got called on Saturday by somebody else who was like, Hey, uh, you guys are always busy. We can, you're never available. But I had someone pull out of our job. It's supposed to start Monday. We are in a complete pinch. Is there, I just figured I'd rather hear you say no than have not called to ask, but like, it's ready to go. Can, is there any chance you can mm. fit it in? I was like, yep. We had the <laughs> job that fell through and we are clear and ready to go Monday morning. Yep. And we just slipped into that and we went to, I'm like, so again, you do your best to be as prepared as possible. And it's like I've said before that my, my favorite quote, quote from the Incredibles is luck favors the prepared. Mm-hmm. And not always, there's still stuff that goes sideways. That's unfortunate. And you, you know, things break down and it's inconvenient. Um, but more often than not, as I look back, you know, whether it's divine intervention or favor of the universe, whatever you want to call it, there has been a, a a good number of times I can look back and be like, that just fell together in a way that I can't explain. And I'm just going to be grateful for it and try to be a good steward of your good fortune. Um, yeah. So it, I think that that responsibility of my employees was something I took very seriously. And, uh, and I, I, there was times I'd kind of take it on the chin and be like, you know, when it comes down to it, I'll, I'll put myself at a loss to make sure that my employees are covered. Um, and make sure that their livelihoods aren't put in jeopardy, you know, because of mm. circumstances that don't have anything to do with them. Yep. Um, but yeah, that that's always kind of a, a lasting, lasting pressure. Um, that also makes me think a little bit, this is kind of on topic, kind of not, but when, um, cause I know I did it. Um, and everybody probably has a story when they have a product. So, so in construction, you've got some glue lamb, 27 feet long, and someone's like, okay, make sure you cut it, whatever. And one of your employees lops off like an extra foot or that inch and a half or the one, like all those little yep. things. How do you deal with, with like, 
things like that when an employee like misunderstands something and just yeah. craps the bed. Well, that that's a, I think an important part of like how you price jobs and you have to build mm. in some interior insurance because that sort of stuff just happens. Mm -hmm. And if you've cut your margins so tight that you've allowed no margin for things to go awry from time to time, yeah. it's a matter of time until you lose your shirt. Yeah. You could only, you can only, you know, eat that stuff for so long. Um, you know, the fortunate thing on some of the projects we were on where there was some of those errors made, like I was doing a development where we built, you know, 130 houses and we'd have, you know, up to seven projects on the go at a time. And so if there was, was a mistake made that was substantial, chances are pretty good that we could actually shuffle product from one steel for one prod project to the other and kind of make things work. Mm -hmm. And the odd time, yeah, I had to head down to the lumber yard and buy a brand new LVL or, you know, order something uh, and just take it on the chin. Um, that sort of thing was fortunately with the guys that I had trained up, it was really rare. Yeah. Um, but there were times that it happened and anyone who's framed for any length of time knows how easy it is to flip numbers in your head. Yeah. And when you're reading your tape upside down mm -hmm. and you screw something up, yeah. like those are sick feeling moments. I remember like when that would happen, you know, like especially if it was a bit of a smaller crew and you're pretty aware of what's going on and then something, and then you can, you're kind of, you could see a bit of commotion, you know, I'm up on the roof and I'm like, oh, something seems a little off down there. And someone's kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they kind of like mention, they see somebody else go talk there and then someone's like, are you serious? You know, and then mm -hmm. Luke comes over, what's going on? Cut this a foot short. And he's like, are you serious? And then just like that, you just feel oh. the weight of this poor guy that made this, this, yeah. this thing, you know? And, and then the odd, I remember when it happened to you, like you cut something wrong and I'm like, yes, Luke <laughs> cut that beam wrong. <laughs> Suck on that. Like this, you know, not, I was actually that excited, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious. Do you remember, you know, either of you, some of the biggest uh, whoopses? Oh, the the one the one that comes to mind, which ended up not being a big deal, fortunately, was on building the Conrad's house. Um, yep. And I put a foundation wall on the wrong side of the line. I remember that. So, so, uh, I mean, it's the one spot you can get away with it. I was so fortunate. Um, so an, oftentimes a spot where you can make a mistake is, you know, say you've got a regular, just a basic structure and in that structure, there's a, a garage that's, that's a part of it. And the inside two walls of the garage, which you're doing a foundation for, um, depending on the plans and how it's drawn, you can have outside to outside measurements. You can side, have center to center measurements. You can have outside to center measurements. There's all different ways that that can be drawn. Um, which I would always recommend trying to work with the same designer and having the same the amount of discussions I've had with designers when they're drawing up plans to be mm. like, I want your plans drawn this way. Yeah. I, I don't want to have to add up eight window center center measurements to get this wall placement. Mm -hmm. Give me that and then measure back. Like, yeah. So whether it was a plan issue or just a, an oversight on my part, which probably it was at footing stage, you know, you're doing your center to center measurements and I went the wrong way mm -hmm. on a footing. And then you're, you know, it's an even foot measurement and you go to do your walls. Like clearly the wall goes here. Don't be about to check in the plans. Mm -hmm. And we got to, I think, floor joist time and we put our floor joists on and my floor joists were all hanging eight inches extra over one side. Like, yeah, that's a lot of waste. And I joists usually are cut long. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, is it that way is the other way? I can't remember when we caught it, but I caught it in time to adjust material 
And the only thing that happening is that the garage ended up being eight inches shallower in its depth. And it didn't end up having any implications. Trust bearing was fine. It wasn't a load bearing wall uh, up at that point. And so I was fortunate to, mm -hmm. to get away with that one, let the homeowners know yep. that it'd be a non-issue at all. The other yep. laundry was a little bigger or something, yep. but yeah, doing a foundation wall in the wrong location, that, that sucked. There's been the odd time you're doing like doing footings for deck and you know, you, you put a column in the wrong space in the wrong spot or that but we i don't i fortunately don't have any like tremendously bad moments we had a few blowouts in concrete like a lot of the building around here because it's such hilly terrain you know sometimes you're building we had footings where we'd had i think we had 26 steps in yeah. our footing the elevation from the top portion of the footings to the bottom you know in a small small footprint you know, you might have 20 vertical feet of it stepping down to the bottom and there's like four foot steps and then you're on the side slope and yeah. you got like, you know, your footing is three and a half, four feet deep on one side and eight inches deep on the other side. Yeah. Like, that's such a side slope and you're pinned into bedrock and you're trying to brace the crap of that low side. Yeah. And Didn't you call that one? Wasn't it just up the road here? You had a name for it. Was it the asshole? <laughs> yep. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. That was a miserable one. <laughs> um, but there's other ones, yeah, where you're like, you know, you, you're pouring your footings and you, we called them cattle shoots because they were just at times so deep mm -hmm. to get your levels where you wanted them. And you're pouring the concrete and you're placing it all. And I always like to vibrate. I would a pencil vibrator and we'd vibrate them. So like the footings all looked really nice, got them full and like something's vibrating along. And all of a sudden you watch the concrete just like, oh no, <laughs> where's it coming out? And you look and something's blown out of the bottom and there's yeah. concrete flowing down so the hillside. It's always that fine line because I remember oh. like people being like, Yep, vibrate, but don't stay down there too long. Right. Like just yeah. get it, you know, and then come out. Otherwise, you're going to have issues. Yeah, I'll I'll think about that more because I'm yeah. sure there's a few other ones. But those you are do the, have Dustin. Do you have any that I don't? I mean, you probably didn't really make any mistakes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is I wasn't usually the person in charge. Right. Uh, I remember when we were doing those condos in Peachland, mm -hmm. having to move the entire length of the one exterior wall. Right. And we had to slide it in. And I remember that tension you describe of like, how much is this going to cost us to mm. in time yeah. to move a whole length of the entire series of, I don't know what it was, four to six condos, the wall having to come in. And that was just that we missed on the plan that the exterior wall didn't carry went from exterior wall to floor system. And there's one foot jog yeah. and it went up, there's gonna be an eyebrow roof and we missed that one foot to bring the exterior walls. Cause you just like naturally, you're like default is they just yeah. stack. You just go yeah. and that wall was inside. So yeah, there were like interior walls and closets. Mm. Oh, and yeah, I remember that. going along, throw your claws in the bottom plate, reef on it, reef on it, reef on it all the way along, which is when I had the wonderful <laughs> experience of the claws popping out just as we're, you know, I don't know how the 10th time we're doing it, boom, throw it in the plate, reef on it. I reef, the claws pop out, and my back foot goes right through a vent hole. And I was wearing shorts, and my shins hit the edge of the plywood, and it just curls up all the skin on my leg. Just <laughs> brrr, into it's like a one nice of those, pile. Like, what do you, like the, the... Like if you're scraping the tape, old tape, off of a, you know, a skateboard or something. It's like a plane. You know, that just yeah, that yeah, nice yeah. little coil of... Like, yeah, or a scrape where you get a nice yeah. peel. Yeah. yeah, it was a real nice peel. And then it's just that gray white tissue underneath and yeah. you're like... It just starts to ooze out. Yeah. 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 Like I, I'm I, similar to you. I didn't... I mean, I made countless mistakes, but because I wasn't 
in yeah. control. I wasn't the, the boss. And even when there was more employees, I wasn't often left as the guy to, to, to lead the, the crew. The few times I think I probably failed miserably. And so it was pretty quick that I wasn't the guy to cut the big expensive beams and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like I remember um, bosses freaking out though. Mm. Like the, the guys we've worked for in the past, losing their temper, uh, kicking a whole lift of studs and actually moving studs in the pile. Yeah. Wasn't that a full lift of studs that full were still lift. banded together yep. with lath in it and he booted the bottom yep. and kicked like four, two by six, like eight yep. inches out the other side or something. Yep. And another time a guy, a new guy onto the crew made a mistake and he lost it and threw a sledgehammer clear across the whole house. Mm -hmm. Just did it like Olympic. What's that thing with the chain and the ball at the end? Hammer throw. And he just like mm. whipped it around yeah. the house. And I just, I stood up. I'm like, you yeah. cannot do that. In that moment. And the guy was like trembling because the, the so boss bad. is losing it. And he just took off and got in his truck and drove away. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think even on our, our crew that there was, I remember some things getting thrown. I'm sure you threw mm -hmm. some stuff. I know, I don't know if you threw much stuff, but I mean, I, I remember a handful of times, whether it was me or Luke or other guys in the crew, you know, like you don't know what guys are going through either. Sometimes you yeah. think it's, it's not just as simple as like, oh, that didn't work out. So I'm throwing my hammer. Like you throw in you know, family and kids and sleepless nights and relational issues and, mm -hmm. and weather and all these different things. Yeah. And then it can be the smallest little thing. And pretty soon you've got, you know, yeah. I remember flying through the air. I remember two instances that come to mind for me when I, I snapped a little bit and one was on our first build with our company and I built stairs wrong. I had to pull them apart mm. and I was pissed pulling these stairs apart, ripping the risers off and drive my nail bar in. And one thing about concrete and framing is that it's a very physical job. Mm -hmm. Like you can get away with beating on something and being rough and yeah. smashing stuff and not really wrecking anything. Yeah, and get a bit of anger out while you're doing it. And you're yeah, like, I'm like, gonna, kind of I'm feels gonna, good. Yeah, exactly. You make a mistake, you gotta rebuild something, you gotta pull something apart. Well, that's yeah. coming apart in a hurry and I'm gonna <laughs> vent, which is not really good practice. Yeah. It's not, doesn't exercise restraint. It's the opposite. It actually allows you to like let out this rage in an in a way that is probably unhealthy, yeah, but it's acceptable. But at, not a, doing at the same time, sometimes appropriate. I think sometimes yeah. we don't allow ourselves to have that that output. Like you know, like because again, yeah. if there's an angry, there is a certain part that I think can be healthy, but it can yeah. quickly enter the the unhealthy part, yeah. right? So I remember pulling those stairs apart and driving my nail bar in to try and pull something. It got stuck, okay. and that was just one more thing. And I just two hand with my hammer just side hit my nail puller mid shank to just knock it loose mm -hmm. and it came loose and sailed across the whole living room and out the front door opening and bounced on the driveway mm. and i'm like oh geez if that had hit anybody yeah yeah <laughs> bad news and i remember another employee who had built something wrong a couple times and i was getting frustrated and i look back and been done wrong again and I came over like, no, not like that. And it was jacks over header. And I came over and just started smashing these jacks out. And I was, and I remember the employee was kind of like, whoa. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like semi-justified in like having to re repair it. But I just got fed up. And I, I, I let loose a bit and ended up having to have a discussion after the fact that, hey, I, I, that was not cool. I, I came unglued. You weren't doing any malicious. But, you know, I was, I was, uh, my patience was done. I couldn't handle anymore. And I remember feeling bad, you know, to this day, that's still like 
bugs me how I responded in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that was me, but yeah, no, definitely. The only other one, uh, as far as a big mistake, the one that sticks out to me was one that, that you had, which was quite the, the roof off the mother sucker. Oh, well, right. We came up with a name for it or or no, it was, was that, was that the one? Okay. So there's the context of this one. Yeah. So, so this one actually wasn't my fault because I had actually become aware of a, of a, what seemed like a discrepancy on the plans and brought it to the attention of the builder to Scott. Yes. I'm like, this says this here and here. Does that make it? This doesn't make sense. No, no. What? No. And he designed the place and had the architect do it. And he's like, no, that's not the case. This is here. Okay, fine. Because this I remember make you guys working it out and you both yeah. kind of agreed that this was No, the... this isn't right. I'm like, okay, great. Because this just shows this. Yeah. I want to make sure. No. And then it was, so it was, it was a fancy, it's a really cool house. Um, tons of hand frame, eye joist roof vaults and arches and really cool. And so we got the upper floor, uh, upper floor going. And we got to the point where I'm like, I need to now put, make sure the trusses are coming. I'm going to confirm dimensions. Um, I always like to talk to the trust companies and dial in dimensions and make sure they're happy and answer any questions, tell them the layout that I want. Some some trust companies, their designers think they're doing the framers a favor and they'll over, over-engineer or overdo their layout to think they're helping us and it doesn't help at all. Mm. So for instance, a simple example, say you got a basic box, it's a hip roof and um, I've had designers before, instead of putting your trusses two foot on center from the corner, they go 23 and a quarter so that your sheets are going to land in the middle of a truss instead mm-hmm. of having to cut it for a sheet. On a hip roof, it doesn't matter because you have a hip. You're starting with a sheet that is coming down to the corner. There is no three quarters to worry about. Mm. And when you have certain structures and different roof lines hitting, that actually causes more trouble than help. So they can overdo things. So anyway, all of that to say, I talked to the trust company and uh, and we're going through all the details and I'm confirming everything and we're talking about yeah and he's like yeah and then you know these trusses are here this is fine because that one foot step thing i'm like um sorry what well they, yeah the designer had this one foot step in the floor here and here um which you know it's kind of an odd detail but because of all of these things he had to do that so you know we've built the trusses for this this one foot step like that one foot oh that one foot okay explain this more and we get around and all of a sudden it clicks in my head and i'm looking at the plans I'm like oh no Oh, that one foot that I talked to Scott about, that did have to be that. That wasn't misdrawn. That was done so that, you know, there was like a headroom in the stairs or what. I can't remember now exactly what the reason was. After we'd it, already built it. After all. we'd built it. So we'd put the floor down. And we used to call when we were time to put a floor on and to sheet it, we'd say, we're laying the smack down. Yeah. So that was always the term we'd throw around. And then so, there was the song, Tear the Roof Off the Mother Sucker. The, yeah. And so, <laughs> Undercover Brother, remember that was yeah, the, the movie. And so basically in the end of the day, what had happened is we had our, there's a slab on grade and we'd framed the whole bottom. And then there was the, the upper floor uh, was all framed and we had the garage. There was a, a bonus room over the garage and that was all the same height when the, the garage was supposed to be a foot lower than the rest of the house. So we had this big, like two bay garage with workshop, big space that the entire floor is a foot too tall. So I talked to Scott and I'm like, we got a problem. And we're looking at, it, and then he, it snaps for him. He's like, oh, and we talked about, yeah, shoot. Okay. Okay. We looked at options and we were like, can we leave it and do this and change this? And they're like, no, it's gotta be brought down. Okay. We'll bring it down. So we had to move the smack down. This is what we ended up calling it. So what we ended up doing is we, we got scaffolding, uh, all in the garage 
and we cranked it all up and cranked all the the uh, the legs up. We put legs in the bottom and the top and made we put runners across the ceiling against the joists, cranked everything super tight with these like four sets of scaffolding. And then we took sawzalls and cut all the nails loose. And then we cut with saws from both sides and we cut a foot of the wall out. Well, the whole floor is now suspended on scaffolding. And then we put new plates on, tied all together. And then we all had to then lower the smack, yeah. <laughs> lower the floor down. And you're hitting the feet and you're just like trying to control, have this thing not collapse. Once yeah. like we had to lower this whole thing a foot and then dropped it, nailed it back. By the time we're done, you'd never know we had to oh, do it. it. Was, I remember like being on the scaffolding and like having all these guys at different corners and you're like tapping yours coming down a little bit. And okay, now you tap yours a little bit <laughs> and you tap yours and the whole thing coming down yeah. a foot. And it was like this ominous thing of having like yeah. thousands of pounds over your head. And you're wondering if I tap it, is something just going to like, it didn't feel good. No, it didn't feel good, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we got it done, but that was, that's right. That was a, that was a good one. Interesting. That's, that's uh, you know, part of the, the fun of regaling the history is like the things that you had to do that you made happen and got away with. And then you think of the things that could have gone wrong. Yeah. Oh man. That there's so many stories. Yeah. I mean, I fortunately kind of got through my construction years without shooting myself in the hands of spikers and without getting my spine torn out or legs broken from getting knocked down from high places and trusses blowing over. And, mm -hmm. and I remember some big, huge radius top picture windows putting in and you were up in a second floor and you build scaffolding and the scaffolding is a little bit too far away from the wall. So you lift it up and you're getting out there like, oh, this is like this like test run is now like the full commitment. We have yeah. to do it. And it's sliding through my hands and like yeah. this goes in now or it falls, we fall, the scaffolding goes apart. We land, you know, 16 well, feet below. wouldn't come apart. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. This is, there's scaffolding where Bradley built one time where he went through a box of nails. It was insane. I think it's yeah. because I built bad scaffolding one time. And not that it fell apart, but it was like brought to my attention. Like, it was sketchy. It was sketchy. And so then after that, I just overbuilt scaffolding and I became known as just like, yeah. again, probably shouldn't build it because I would overbuild it like crazy. And, uh, yeah. you know, because that's the thing is like you would build scaffolding. There's a piece of wood here and then you have thing that comes down here. It's like this triangle, you know, these few nails, it'll support gazillions. But I just didn't have that brain at the time. So like you to do make a, something strong. Yeah. You do it in a, in a unique way. Yeah. Like, oh, that's interesting. And you're like, oh, but if this happens, it could move that. Okay, I'll put a brace there. And then I'll, I'll put a brace there. And I'll, I'll brace that brace. <laughs> and then I'm just going to put some more stuff on. Yeah. <laughs> so pulling, nails. pulling it apart, you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> I was just thinking about the you know, difference in personalities the that you had started talking about and how for myself, a lot of the shift in how I approach things happened after my car accident, mm. which happened early on in our friendship. Having something like that happen where you, you almost die, it changes how you perceive things. And I think there were good aspects and negative ones, you know, having that experience helped me in a lot of ways um, overcome fears. You know, at that time, Christy and I almost broke up at that time. We were just dating because I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with my life and was too afraid to propose to her, like, I can't marry you. I don't know what I'm doing and so on. And then having that accident obviously showed me that life is precious and you only have what you have right now. And so in a lot of ways, it it brought all my attention 
to the present. Mm. Um, but in other ways, I think I, in hindsight, looking back, I think I ended up carrying a huge weight, um, kind of like, well, if I didn't die and should have died, I was saved for something. What is it? Mm. And that pressure to be like, I got to do something meaningful created a pretty strong criticism that I really regret in my life and doing trades felt like, oh, I can't be in construction. That's not good enough. Mm. I have to do something with my life worth my life being saved for. And it created, a, um, I think, a anxiety in me and an unwillingness to just appreciate the simple beauty of work. And it, it drove me to always be pursuing something more meaningful. Mm. And, you know, when we were working together and doing all the different work that I've done in my life, I'm thankful for all of it, but there has been a strong push in my life to try and make my life do something meaningful. And I think that has at times stolen from me the ability to appreciate just the simple value of working. Hmm. Almost like, I would never have said this, but I think subconsciously swinging a hammer or doing a trade isn't really making any difference in the world. And feeling like I need to go do some grand thing. But now kind of spending 43 years and having done so many different things and meeting so many different people, the things I value the most in my life are just the simple connections with people that I've had. Mm. And the all the different jobs I've had, the thing that makes the job so meaningful is how you treat people and how you perceive people. And learning to actually see that, take Acrobus for example, you guys have alluded to it a couple of times, but the simple reality that your business has the capacity and opportunity to give people space to build a life. And especially in the economy that we're surrounded by, that's really rare that a business can exist within a really struggling economy and not be dependent on Summerland getting its act together and the economy growing. Mm -hmm. You can ship products around the world. We can have a dozen people working here that all can slowly build a life, feed their kids, help their kids go off to university and be able to have tradesmen come through the door, listen to their stories, create something that helps them do their work, that helps them feed their family. Like the meaningfulness and the value of what we do to be able to see it for what it is rather than just, oh, I work in a, I'm, I work in a little storefront and I work behind a till and sell people tool belts. That's dumb. I need to go and, you know, move to an island and help foster kids. I did that. That is no more meaningful than being here and selling tool belts to people because the ability to show people that they're valuable, that they have worth as a person and just genuinely care for them and love them, the people you work with, to be a part of their life, 
and to express to them that they have value. To do that as a business generates more thriving in life in your families and then into your community. So Acrobus has this incredible opportunity to provide space for community to grow. And when you see that, you can participate in doing your task with joy and freedom. And I think a lot of my life I've spent so much energy being afraid I'm doing it wrong. This isn't good enough. Um, this isn't the thing I'm meant to do. And it's kept me from doing so much more. And not that I needed to go do something else, but engaging more fully in the work that I have and appreciating the people I'm with. Because like I, I look back at all the people I've worked with and they are just incredible people. And the gift of being able to be with them in that time of life is just so good. So I think my, my personality in, in, in working and us working together, there has been this, I can see there's been this evolution of me learning to, to process and let go of fear and learn to be content, whatever the circumstances are. And that's just been a long journey of <clears throat> me having to experience all these different things mm -hmm. and see kind of in a long roundabout way, all these things you've been able to do are all meaningful. They're all awesome. You don't have to go off and li live some crazy adventure, sail around the world, come back, write a book, someone makes a movie out of it and you travel around doing conferences. <laughs> Which somehow in my mind seems like that's, that's a real worthwhile life. Mm -hmm. But to recognize that a, a simple life of loving the people you're with, it actually, there is no greater thing that you can do with your life than to love people. Mm -hmm. And that I think is real freedom and i look back to whenever we had tension in work or that fear of making a mistake that fear of somebody loop, loop, flying off the handle throwing a hammer and f getting mad at you and you feeling like your worth is tied up in those things to recognize that it isn't and you're free to just enjoy and who doesn't want to be around somebody who's just genuinely enjoying like i can think of a guy guys i've worked with in the past that like on cruise that carried that mm -hmm. and i loved it it didn't even matter the job mm -hmm. i loved working with them and they made the work better mm -hmm. and i think of the guys that came into our shop the other day group of four friends that came in here they all do drywall and they were just the most amazing guys only one spoke english and they were getting belts and they do drywall and i said to luke after i'm like i could do drywall with those and i've hated doing drywall yeah but i could do drywall with those guys because there's there's this a sense of joy and freedom and when i was doing roofing roofing is like miserable i don't want to do roofing but i worked with a guy who was so funny and engaging and full of life that it made the work fulfilling and when i was doing i did work building log houses for a little bit and again, guy that I worked with, um, and sadly he was killed in a really tragic accident, but the experience of being around people that, that carry a sense of freedom, they're not trying to prove anything. They're not trying to achieve greatness. They're content and full of life and appreciating the simple things. 
there is like such a gravity to that and it's such an attraction that it gives you permission, gives other people permission to be confident, to be courageous, to in, be courageous enough to enjoy the simplicity of life. And that to me has just been so powerful and something I've longed for my whole life, but have misunderstood. And I think in all of our time together as friends, I can see how those parts of me that have been insecure and fearful have hurt people I care about, has hurt my work, has hurt friendships and things like that. And the times where I've experienced people offering me that grace and that joy makes me go, oh man, now that I've kind of like been around the sun a few times to go, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that's that makes a big difference in people. To you see the postman or the bus driver, like our friend Steve, who drives school bus, to drive school bus, genuinely loving every kid that comes on that bus and knowing that he makes a difference in their day and just loves it. Mm -hmm. Like those people in my mind and all the different things I've done in my life and all the different places I've been, I can picture those kind of people and they change the world in their little space where they're at. And I find that so inspirational, exciting. And that you always have the capacity to do it, whatever you're doing. Yeah. You have that opportunity and that choice and that agency to do it. Yeah. But it takes a lot to do it. Because especially for someone like me, who's typically more afraid and is like, I, I see all the bad things that are going to happen and I don't want them to happen. So I'm going to obsess about them so that they don't happen. It's very difficult to, to snap out of that which in our time working together, that has been a big hurdle. And like you say, hey, you're a little bit more emotional. You're a little bit more passionate. And I know you mean that in a positive way, mm -hmm. but I definitely am. And I think part of it is the ongoing wrestling in my life. I, this isn't the same at all, but to give some insight into it, the movie Saving Private Ryan, when they say to him after they finally find him and all these people have died, make it worth it like live a life that makes it worth it i think i've carried that really horrible weight of like make your life worth god saving you out of this accident go do something meaningful for some people that's like a really good momentum mm -hmm. motivation for me it was just like this is such a huge weight don't waste your potential don't oh and so it's contributed to a lot of, I think, tensions in my life and just with my personality and so on. But what a beautiful but, thing. Like you're, again, you know, like, I just want to come over and give you a little hug there. I almost had a couple of those. <laughs> but like, I, I, think, I think you're just so, so spot on. And I, I, I think your ability to, to explain for a lot of people, like I think we would have this feeling and this thing inside there, but we don't know what it is. I think what you just explained, you have this uh, ability to be able to put into words so many of maybe my thoughts or my emotions or what people have gone through, um, but also steer it in a really beautiful way that does create that sense of freedom. Be like, yeah, what I am doing here is is meaningful. And the people that I get to work with in this shop, the people that oh. I get to bump into at the gas station, the people that I you know, all those things, um, how valuable that is, you know, I mean, that's, that's Dr. Dustin, Pastor Dustin coming out there, just, <laughs> yeah, just well, reaching it. Like. People, people, like one of the things I'm so thankful for in my life is all these 
beautiful people that I've been able to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And like that gets me emotional thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Like the gift of being able to appreciate and enjoy and uh, get to know a person. Like there's only one of that person. Mm -hmm. And the uniqueness of an individual. There's never going to be that individual on the planet again. No one's lived Brad or Luke. No one. And no one ever will. And so when you meet a person, you're meeting an unrepeatable expression of something one of a kind. And you get this gift of being able to be with them in space and time. And the way they talk, the way they, their humor, their experiences and their story, it moves into yours and changes yours. Mm -hmm. And the world is a different place because Brad's been in it and Luke's been in it. Like that gift of being with people is just like, when you think about it, you're like, geez. And it makes you emotional and it wakes you up to be like, I'm gonna have a coffee with these amazing people. And everybody else is like, get over it, sap. You're <laughs> such a sap. But it's true. And I think when you can wake up to it, it's this incredible gift of being able to just delight and be so excited about your life. And our, our, sadly, our lives are so noisy and full of comparison and fear that we, we can't push pa past it sometimes to just wake up mm -hmm. into your life and enjoy it. And I think I've spent a lot of days stuck in being anxious, panic attacks. I need to figure it out. I need to solve it. I need to control and being able to let go is, is just this like incredible freedom. And yeah, looking back, I can see, I don't want to look back and be like, oh, I regret all these things, but it's almost like a, a compassion for my older self and a grace for him trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And meeting people, and we've talked about this before, like we know what we were like when we were 20 something. And you almost want to go back and smack that 20 something, but I actually wouldn't because I would, that 20 something would have been like, screw you, pal. Life is like this and you're wrong. <laughs> I got it all figured out. But to go back to that guy and just, it, it's almost like I wouldn't even really say anything mm -hmm. just to be with him and enjoy that space and to just love him and give him that encouragement and enjoy him. Because I think when people genuinely enjoy each other, it gives them permission to, to be themselves and to step into thriving. Because who likes it when you're around someone that you always feel is critiquing you? And maybe all they're trying to do is push you into your potential. But it, it feels crushing. It feels heavy. It feels like you're always having to perform. And I think that's been part of our dynamic as friends when your personality is more like driven to do things well and to do it really right. That perfectionism, and I know it's hard for you, you've shared that because you see that, well, for starters, it's hard on you, but then to see that it's hard on people close to you is tragic and sad. But to, for in a friendship to recognize that that's not what you're doing and to give each other that sense of freedom and appreciate it. For me to appreciate it, like I said, I wouldn't have built my house if you weren't immediately building a house in front of me across the street mm. to appreciate that 
those gifts in each other and give each other the permission and the freedom to express them and genuinely enjoy people. I think is that's the kind of people I know I want to be around. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of wonderful things said there. I think that's a great place to to wrap up. Um, yeah. When's the book coming out? No kidding. <laughs> I feel so encouraged. <laughs> everybody awesome. needs everybody needs a little awesome. Dustin, that type of personality. And I think that's one of the things that does make our, you know, it's yeah. it's such a beautiful thing. You have these different personalities, and and uh, did you think the mustache helped at all, or did it? Detract? I'm really happy that it, it made me forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, thanks for watching and listening, and we'll see you again next time.